Nile. Uh, that is Nile Enders. She's one of our, our high school students uh, in our church here. And so thank you for reading uh, the gospel this morning. Go ahead and have a seat. My name is Jack. I am the <clears throat> lead pastor uh, here with Bethany Northeast. And again, uh, as Jenny did, want to welcome anyone visiting this morning with family or uh, you're here for the first time just checking Bethany out. Uh, we're glad you're with us. We've been in a series all throughout the season of Lent, which is the 50 days, 40 or so, 50 days leading up to Easter Sunday. And we've been looking at these I am statements that Jesus makes throughout the Gospel of John. There's seven of them. We're on the last of those, though it's not chronological. We've kind of backtracked to John 11. That's where this reading we just heard is from. And there's several of these I am statements after that statement. But this is a pretty important one, especially when you think of it in terms of what we're celebrating today and the resurrection. And so I'm going to take a moment to pray, and then we'll, we'll get into what that statement really means for us. Let's pray. God, thanks for this opportunity we've already had to, to worship together in community. Thanks for the, the freedom to do that and the, uh, the joy you fill it with. Uh, thanks for the reminders of life all around us, uh, for the sunshine, for the, the blossoms that are just forming on some trees, for the warmth in the air for children's voices, for all these things that remind us of life in our midst. Um, so God, even as we explore this theme of resurrection and lean into the promise of life that you have for each of us in the room, uh, would you open our hearts more to that truth? Would you reveal to us in our hearts areas where you want to bring healing? Would you... Um, Challenge us, God, in places where we need to be challenged. Thanks that your word is alive and active. So we pray these things in Christ's name, who is the word made flesh. Amen. So like I said, we're in John chapter 11. Yes, amen, Seth. Uh, we're in John chapter 11, verses uh, 17 to 27. That's the kind of text we're going to be in. If, you're, if you have a Bible on your, your phone or if you brought a Bible with you, you can have that open. We'll look at this together. And um, to kind of set that up, tell you a little personal story, just in case not all of you know me, so you'll get to know a little bit about me. I'm a father of two kids, Elliot and Maren, I think are here somewhere. I won't embarrass you guys too much. And then uh, my wife, Elizabeth, for 15 years have been married. And um, we have this new Friday ritual. So these guys could probably tell you about it, but we have begun this year on Fridays. Kids go to school, they come home. We make up a uh, family dinner, uh, after we've cleaned up dinner, uh, we, 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 we make up this pot of popcorn on our stovetop, on our Whirly Pop popcorn popper. I don't know if anybody has one of those. Uh, and then we watch, a, we rent a movie from iTunes. I know a lot of you use Netflix. This isn't a movie, this isn't a sermon about the, my bias toward iTunes, but I do use iTunes. So, uh, and we often decide on that movie over dinner. Sometimes we have disagreements, but it's okay. Um, we talk about what we saw last week. We talk about maybe what was released this week. We talk about what we haven't seen yet. We talk about, you know, what's got the freshest rating on Rotten Tomatoes, you know. And we choose a movie, and then we sit down on our couch. We don't own a TV, much to my, my children's dismay. They want, we'd love to have one. I'm not asking for one right now. Don't worry. And so we, we huddle around our computer, watch this movie, uh, cuddle on the couch, and we laugh. And sometimes we even cry. And, uh, and it's been fun, I think, over this past year to just do that together, to, to kind of 
protect that space for each other and just do something that's kind of about being together. And uh, it's been interesting, some of the movies we watched this year, or we've been watching together, there's a few notables that I remember that I, I love. And so uh, the, the, th- the three that I'll just mention, I know Elliot and Marner, 7 and 12. So we watch a lot of animated movies like uh, Disney, Pixar, that kind of stuff. Parents of children that age know this. There's a lot of other movies out there. We watch other movies too that aren't animated, but a few of the animated ones that we've we've looked at, we've seen Big Hero Six, which I was I'd been kind of holding at arm's length for some reason. I don't know why. It's good. Uh, the Good Dinosaur, which Ellie and I just watched a couple weeks ago, is also very good. And then Up, which is I know like everybody here loves Up, right? Of course you do. And so uh, I want to ask you a question. There's a there. All of these movies have one thing in common. Well, they have more than one thing in common I learned in our last service. Um, they're, they're, there's a common theme in these movies that I love. So let me ask the kids in the room. It's, it's kind of a quizzy question. What do Good Dinosaur, Up, and <laughs> Big Hero 6 have in common? Other than the fact they're all Disney movies, Disney Pixar. Any guesses? And they're animated. I already told you that, though. That's... You can't answer a question I already gave you the answer for. They are all movies. Okay, come on. I, you know, in the last service, they, I, they said a couple things I didn't know. You can't answer. I already told you. What's that? How did you know that? Yes. Well, so somebody got the answer here that I was looking for. I'll tell you. They all deal kind of very winsomely with the theme of death. All of them. I don't know if you realize this. Up, unlike most Disney films, begins with a death. Remember this? There's Carl, this kind of grumpy old man. I know, Carl. And Ellie. And, and they have this heart-wrenching, there's this heart-wrenching montage at the beginning, kind of detailing their lifelong relationship. And then Ellie dies. And the movie, that's when the movie really begins. Right? Or Big Hero 6. You have Hiro Hamada. He's the main character in the story. He's being raised by his older brother, Tadashi. Tadashi and Hiro are orphans. We learned that. And that alone is kind of a, a twist in a Disney movie. But then Tadashi is killed early in the movie in a, in a kind of explosion in this factory. And Hiro is left alone throughout the rest of the movie to raise himself. And then The Good Dinosaur. It, it, I love this one. I was very surprised. It's set in this fictional earth where a comet never kills the dinosaurs, which... If you didn't know that, I'm sorry. Spoiler alert. Dinosaurs were killed by a comet. Anyway, so the film follows this young uh, apatosaurus named Arlo who befriends this little boy named Spot. Actually, Spot becomes his pet. <laughs> kind of a weird twist. But during the movie, they're cultivating this friendship, and they, just, they learn in this very powerful moment during the movie that they both have lost a parent or parents. So Spot is orphaned, and then uh, Arlo has lost his dad. And they have this profound moment of intimacy when they learn this. And, and as they discover that, they kind of begin this friendship. If you remember the, the movie, they begin kind of caring for each other and suffering alongside each other in their loss. So that's what I love about these films is that, is that all of them, and there's many more like them, animated and not animated movies, that in their own ways explore the transformational gift of grief. There's a, there's a, a gift in grief, so to speak, and these movies kind of explore that. So let me ask everybody in the room. That was kind of for the young ones. But have you ever lost someone? Someone close to you? Uh, could have been a family member. 
could have been a dear friend. Um, could have been someone that lived a really great life, you know, ripe old age. It could have been someone that just died way too soon. Uh, the chances are all of us has, has known someone that's died. The youngest to the oldest in the room. We've, we've met someone, we know someone that has died. That We've been touched by death, haven't we? To be human is to be touched by this. And the beauty of the gospel, this gospel that we're in, is that Jesus was too. Uh, Isaiah talks about Jesus as a man acquainted with grief, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And I, it does talk, that's really speaking about his cross. But I think also, if you know this story, is that he was, he was familiar with suffering and loss. Jesus lost his friend Lazarus. This is the story we're in today. And, and he grieves in this story. He's, he's filled with grief. And he meets Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha. And they are also filled with this grief. The community around them is grieving. There's profound grief and loss in this story. And there's also this sort of heightened sense of expectation being put on Jesus. I mean, how is Jesus going to respond? This man who can uh, heal people from diseases, who has delivered people from demon possession, will he have the bedside manner necessary to comfort someone in grief? How will he face death for the first time, really? Uh, what will he say? What will he do? Right? And we all know this. I mean, maybe you don't know the story, but the end of the story, it's sort of a good ending. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. We all know that end. But before he does that, here's the, he makes this important declaration that really frames the entire story. In fact, I'd argue that it really is the crux of the entire story of God. Jesus says this about himself, I am the resurrection and the life. Which is to say that Jesus, in the face of death, utterly redefines death. Uh, he defines it in terms of his resurrection. And that, that redefinition has really sent ripples throughout history. Uh, I heard one theologian once talk about the resurrection as like a nuclear bomb, but not deadly, but life-giving, sending these ripples radiating the story of God throughout history. Thousands of years now, we're sitting here on the corner of 123rd and Sandpoint Way talking about it. Thousands of years later, what is it about? This story of resurrection. And so I want to look at a few powerful implications of this declaration that Jesus makes. I'm resurrection, I'm life. And those are going to be really simple. We'll go through them quickly. That resurrection is now. Okay? We're going to talk about that. Resurrection involves you. And finally, uh, resurrection defeats death. Okay? So resurrection is now. It involves you. And it defeats death. And uh, once we've done that, we'll respond. Okay? So first, resurrection begins now. Okay, listen to this. Martha is defining death the way many of us define death. Uh, she has just run out to meet Jesus like we heard. She's visibly upset. If you can kind of just get yourself inside this scene. She's mad at the fact that she's lost her brother. Mad that he's died. He's died young. And more poignantly, like significantly, she's mad at Jesus. Did you hear what she said? If only you had been here sooner. You can hear the indignance in her voice. Like if, and she's mad at God. If only God. How many of us have ever said that to God at one time or another? If only you'd shown up, God. If only I had gotten into that school. If only I had met that person. If only the doctor had been able to see her sooner. You know, if only, then this wouldn't have happened. It would have turned out different. My life would be 
different than it is today. Uh, and Jesus says to her, we, oh, we all say that at one time or another in our lives. And Jesus says to us, maybe to you, very patiently, very compassionately, like he did to Martha, I'm here. <laughs> I'm here now. I'm, I'm resurrection and I'm life. In other words, Jesus is challenging Martha. With a, he's redefining her if only with an if Jesus, you could say. In other words, if Jesus is who he says he is, if he's not just some crazy Middle Eastern rabbi that walked the earth one day, if he did what the Gospels say he did, if he will do all that he can do, uh, then there's more to this story that you're living. There's, there's more to your story right now. That, that what he's saying is death is never the end of your story. Whatever death you've experienced, it's never the end. And so, friends, we're caught up in this mystery, this divine mystery right now, all of us, where we're being invited by Jesus to say something like this. God, how might whatever this is that I'm facing be used as a means of conforming me to your image? Like this diagnosis, this profound loss I'm walking through, this sense of doubt and confusion, uh, the real brokenness in my life. Many of us just carry around a sense of real brokenness and sin, and we can't shake it. How might that be used by God to conform you to the image of Christ as a, as a way to learn what faith is really about? Learn, faith is really, if I could explain it to anybody in the room, is really about deep reliance on God, learning that you have to completely give up your self-reliance and trust. That's all faith is. Just trusting Jesus with your life. And Jesus, how might Jesus, how might I trust you more? That's what he's inviting Martha into. That's what God is always inviting us into when we encounter him on the road like Martha did. Moving us from if onlys to if Jesus, which is precisely why Jesus doesn't say to her, I will be resurrected someday, Martha. He doesn't say that to her. It's also why he doesn't say to Martha, don't be so sad. Like, Lazarus isn't in pain anymore. And let me just show you now. He you knows he's alive. He's somewhere else in a better place. Let me just show you how to live now so you can be there too. He doesn't say that to her. He doesn't talk about resurrection that way. He says, I am resurrection. Even, which is to say, even though Lazarus is very much dead, and I will raise him, the now I'm talking about is with you, Martha. It's not with Lazarus. It's not with this thing I will do. It's, it's right here on this road between us, this encounter we're having. What is the substance of your faith right now? We're having this conversation. It's not about your brother. It's about you. Not if only, but if Jesus with me, with you. <laughs> Hope visible. That's what he's all about. So resurrection's now. Happens right now. But that's just the first thing. Resurrection's also, uh, it involves you. So when Jesus says, I am resurrection and life, uh, just as he does in every one of these seven different I am statements in John's gospel, he's pointing back in the story of God to this encounter that, um, that God has with Moses in Exodus chapter 3. I've talked about this a couple times during the series, but I'll, remember, I'll remind you again. If you remember the story, the essence of this story, Moses is sitting, he's a shepherd, he's sitting in the wilderness, tending his sheep, and he sees a bush, and he notices the bush isn't being consumed. And so he goes over to look at it, and it begins to talk to him. It's kind of a weird thing. And the essence of that story is that God is revealing himself personally to Moses. That God is saying, 
he actually says to Moses, I have seen the suffering of the people of God. God says to Moses, I've seen the violence and the oppression that Israel had been experiencing at the hands of the Egyptians. I've seen that. And God says, I, I moved with compassion and deep concern. And I'm so moved that I'm going to enter into first this bush, and then he becomes, enters into a pillar of cloud and fire, and then guess what? He becomes a human being. He moves into the story of the people of God. He's never going to be this distant pie in the sky by and by. He's always going to be with us. I will be with you from this moment forward. Uh, resurrection involves you. I am is what he says his name is, which is not I was, not I will be someday, but I am. I'm right here with you. Resurrection involves you. And that means that God at, at this moment is inviting us uh, when he says, I am the resurrection of life, he's inviting us to hear this. I am your resurrection. I am your life. I am here with you in the midst of your struggle. I am the life that you need to live the next day and the next moment. So let me put this in terms of something I've tried to say here before, but if you're new, you haven't heard me say this. The essence of Christianity is really personal pronouns. Uh, if, if you're here this morning and you're saying something like you're expecting us to, to kind of say the creed, the Son of God was born, he died, he was raised, he ascended, you know, he's coming again someday. That doesn't necessarily make you a Christian just because you can say that. You might even believe that, and that doesn't necessarily make you a Christian. Uh, to know God, to follow Christ, is something very different than just saying some words you might have learned. Jesus would have us say this, the Son of God was born for me. The Son of God died for me. The Son of God ascended to the right hand of the Father for me. He, he is coming again for me. The, the essence of Christianity is personal pronouns. I am the resurrection means I am resurrected for you. Let's start there. Which is why Jesus turns to Martha in this story and says, do you believe this? He switches pronouns there. Jesus often speaks in this you language, but he's speaking often to the crowds. He's saying, do you all believe this? But if you read this in the original language, Jesus switches pronouns. He says, Martha, do you believe this? In the midst of a funeral procession, <laughs> he looks at her. You can see him looking her right in the eye saying, do you believe, Martha? Which implies this, that, that life in Christ is deeply personal. It's profoundly personal. It has to be. And because it's personal, it must be rooted in relationship. And you all know about relationships. They take work. They take uh, conversation. They, they take communication. They're not merely rooted in doctrine. You probably don't teach your kids doctrine about how to relate to each other or your, your husbands and wives. You don't have doctrines for your household. Maybe you do. It's about intimacy. It's about learning to ask forgiveness and confessing and all those things. So you're not really a Christian, and you don't understand Christianity until you've understood some of those things. And you're not, until you're experiencing Jesus inside our relationship, until you're coming to him in, in personal pronouns saying to God, what do you have for me today? It's a new day. What do you have? What do you want me, what do you want to do in me today? God's always at work in us. What do you want to do, God? What step of faith are you inviting me to take today? Courage. I hear the pastor always talking about that. What step do I need to take? 
You have to understand that Jesus was raised for you. But here's the key. And we're a good evangelical church. This is really important. Not just for you. And not just for me in this sort of exclusive, private sense of the word. Like, we sing that, me and Jesus, kind of my buddy. You know, we talk about it, I preach about it. And that's been an unfortunate consequence of the evangelical kind of tradition, privatizing Jesus a little bit. And the resurrection and the life is really about something much more, much bigger than just personal salvation. Remember what John 3.16 says? This, you see in the end of the end, uh, football end zones, right? God so loved what? The world that he sent his son, that whoever believes in him would have eternal life, would, would be resurrected. He loves the world, which means this, that though we are all individually significant in God's story, each one of you is. Life in Christ is not just personal, it's also global. And so it's important for us to remember that resurrection life is both for those that are experiencing profound death in, in intimacy in your marriage. A lot of us are struggling in that area but also for people who are caught in the crosshairs of sexual trafficking and in this refugee, worldwide refugee crisis. We have to hold those two in tension and not forget there are people that are struggling just like we are. Uh, the resurrection is, is for people who fear for the future of the world when you stay up late watching the news, but also for those of us that have teenagers and we stay up late because they're on their first date. Uh, Resurrection brings racial reconciliation, but it also brings reconciliation inside of a, a deeply personal relationship. Do you see what I'm saying? When Jesus declares himself as resurrection and life, he declares, what I've done for you, I've also done for the world. And here's what I've done for the world. Here's the last thing I want to talk about. So resurrection's now. It involves you. And here's what I've done for the world. Here's what Jesus did for the world. He defeated death. Resurrection defeats death. Listen to this. Uh, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And listen, this is amazing. Whoever lives by believing will never die. Be careful, I've been told by my parents to, when you say never and always. Jesus said he, you will never die if you believe in him. He sticks a stake in the ground that runs thousands of years deep. He says, death has been defeated. My life is victorious. He's the final victor over death. And death is that great enemy of God. I mean, really, God didn't create death. He didn't cause death. It was by human decision and will that death entered the world. And friends, listen, death is looming over us right now as a world. It's casting this huge and dark shadow over our world for every one of us. No, none of us are immune from death, not even the youngest in the room. We're all dying. I don't know if you guys knew that. And this is not a Halloween sermon or something like Easter. Uh, but we're all dying. We're all decaying. We are all passing away from this world to the next. It's happening right now as I'm speaking. And that's happening in a lot of different ways, whether that's death as a consequence of war or death inside of a marriage and intimacy, like I mentioned, or death in your, to your identity because you've been shamed. You've been told you can't do something. You're never going to be anything. Or you carry something around with you. It's like shame because you, you just don't want people to know what you've done. If they only knew me, what's deep inside of me, what I carry in my heart, man, people would flee. Uh, whether it's death of your childlike faith, you're raised in the church, and man, you're just full of tons of doubts now. Or if it's death to your creativity and your, and, and your courage because of all the indifference and apathy in the world. You just wake up on Monday and you're like, oh, this world, 
whatever, we're all facing death, every one of us. And whatever death you're facing, Jesus gets in the presence of it, sticks a stake in the ground and says, death has no victory. I do. My life does. I am resurrection. I am life. I'm the victor over death. Death is a defeated enemy. Uh, Paul says so in 1 Corinthians 15. Remember this. Where, O death, is your sting? Uh, Where is your victory, O grave? And that's a, he's taunting death. <laughs> How can Paul do that? He, he's looking at death going, ha, ha, ha. You can't win. And he, he gets that because he understands that Jesus' cross and resurrection were final and total. They, they, they consumed death. He gets that Jesus, as Peter once preached in Acts 2, that Jesus broke the bands of death, that, that, that his death on the cross broke the power of death. See, we often think the cross of Christ was like a payment for penalty by, for a wrathful God, right? Some people think that. Really, if you read the Bible carefully, it was the pinnacle of the battle between an, an infinitely loving God, an eternally living God, and, and his enemy Satan, who is death, destruction, annihilation. That's not God. God doesn't want to annihilate us. He wants us to live. And that's what the cross is all about. What, what died on the cross of Christ was not just Jesus, but our former uh, de sinful death-bound existence. The power of Satan died on the cross. That's what died. And that's why we're here this morning, gathered to celebrate the resurrection, which is God's victory over death. And that's the central paradox of Christianity. That in dying for our sins, Jesus put death to death. And he opened this way to life. And so that's why Jesus turns to Martha. And if you were standing here right now, he'd turn to every one of you, one by one, and say, do you believe this? I put death to death. Do you believe this? Uh, he, he, he looks at Martha. Do you believe? It's extraordinary. Not in the idea of life. You can believe in that. Not in the concept of resurrection, the doctrine of eternal life. What a difficult thing to comprehend. And he's not asking you to comprehend eternity today. That's not what Easter is all about. He's inviting you to believe in him. That's all. It's a very simple thing. The one who's present in your suffering, the one who is alive in your doubts, the one who is the victor over death, he's here do you believe? So friends, uh, my invitation to you is just to believe into Jesus. Take that next step. Lean toward him. He's good. That's what Easter is all about. Moving from unbelief to belief. Removing, uh, just receiving more fully his life. Removing that power of death over your life. Receiving his victory. So let me ask you guys, do you believe this? Or maybe I should ask, do you want to believe this? Maybe you're, you're new to the church. You've been here for a while and you've been struggling with belief. Do you want to believe? If that's you, and I'll put myself in those shoes, I want to believe. I do. Well, let's pray together, okay? I want to invite the worship team forward. And we're just going to respond by singing, but I'm going to pray over us. And, and if you'll pray with me, if you'll allow me to pray for you, I'm, not going to, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, but I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands or anything. But I do want to pray for you, okay? So let's pray. Lord, you've said and you've declared yourself to be resurrection and life. And you've promised in the scripture that if we believe in you, though we die, we will live. And that whoever of us lives believing in you 
will never die. And that's such good news, Jesus. And yet I'll confess, and I'm sure I'm confessing on behalf of many of my friends, it's really hard to believe. It's hard to believe when we're facing death, Jesus. It's hard to believe when we're facing confusion and heartache. And so, God, we want to lean into belief this morning. And yet we, we confess together that there are these hairline cracks, even in the most sophisticated faith in this room, um, that from time to time, unbelief creeps in, slips through the cracks, and just shakes us to the core. And God, no amount of preaching is helpful to my friends here on moments like, in moments like that. No amount of Bible knowledge, no amount of, no amount of theology. So we just need you. We, we want to invite you now, Jesus, in your spirit to help us overcome unbelief. Help us to pray that prayer that man prayed in the Bible. We believe. Help us in our unbelief. Help us, God. And thank you that you do help us. That you help us to know what it means to live and believe, to rise to newness of life. God, I pray specifically for those of us in the room that are just believing for the first time or the first time in a long time, that death is breaking its hold on their lives. God, I pray for those who are realizing they have freedom. Um, God, thank you for these friends, for speaking to all of our hearts, for breaking through our hearts. So I pray for continued clarity in these moments ahead, for comfort from your spirit. And I pray for friendships, both here and then beyond these doors. Guides, people that would help us to understand what it means to live rejoicing in you, in your beauty and our belovedness. So God, we pray these things together. We pray trusting on you, in you and, and waiting on you to minister to us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.